Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the FO News Show. My name is Kyle Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host Jackson Roberts. Jackson, we got some real news today. We got to, uh, I mean, a lot, lot on the injury front, as uh, seemingly always uh, feels especially present this week. But uh, we've got a lot to dive into. I'm going to tell you what, Kyle. It feels like the first week of actual wire-to-wire news coverage. You know, we like talking about Pro Bowl nominations and field news, as it were, with logos at center field, but it's it's a legit week. We've got a lot to break down. So let's not delay. Let's dive right into that because I'm on the exact same page with you. Let's start out with what's going on in Florida right now with Hurricane Ian. Uh, upgraded to a Category 5. It's just made landfall this morning in Sanibel Island, southwest Florida, uh, right around Fort Myers. Uh, on the West Coast. Uh, only reason we're bringing this up is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers currently are involved in their uh, practice schedule. They've moved their facility to Miami uh, to get their practice in. They'll be playing the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. And as of now, between uh, violent weather conditions, potential power outages, uh, that game may be in jeopardy. Uh, the opening that they have right now, is the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota, has opened its doors and offered its services uh, if the game needs to be hosted there. Jackson, that'd be quite the trip, uh, you know, or worship for safety for everyone in Florida at the moment. But uh, in terms of just Sunday night football action, that could be a bit of a sight. I would be very curious to see what a crowd looks like for – a Bucks Chiefs game in Minnesota with very little warning slash Bucks fans are probably not it's probably not the smartest move to travel right now. If I I mean football fans are crazy, they'll do it, but probably not the smartest move. So I don't know exactly what we'd be looking at there. Yeah, this is one of those rare instances where, you know, we we talk about football on the news, but this is more like a real news item that's just having an impact on football. And Obviously, like you said, our, our first order of business is to make sure that everyone's safe. But since it does affect football and since we do have to talk about it, I mean, that's I have no idea what that game is going to look like. I don't know where it's going to be. And it could be I mean, we saw all sorts of weird environments with the COVID season in 2020. But apart from that, kind of unprecedented. Yeah, and we've seen uh, massive weather displace football teams before uh, for extended periods of time and hopefully uh, crossing our fingers that this is not one of them. Let's flip over to one of the other football teams in the state of Florida, the Miami Dolphins coming off a pretty, uh, pretty impressive win against Buffalo Bills. Not only uh, not winning with their offensive firepower, really showing off their defense, but taking down the number one overall team in total DVOA. Little story still coming out of that game. Uh, you may remember Tua taking a late hit from Bill's linebacker, Matt Milano. Uh, shaky when he got up, a little bit wobbly. Uh, was looked at on the sidelines for a concussion. Uh, insisted, apparently, that the uh, wobbly nature uh, was related to his back, which when you show symptoms like that for a concussion, uh, you are immediately entered into concussion protocol unless that state and those, uh, those small instances are a result of a different injury. Tua insisted that it was part of his back. 
did not enter concussion protocol on Monday. Uh, Mike McDaniel spoke to the media and said that he was dealing with some ankle soreness as well as some back soreness uh, from, quote, his, uh, his work in the trenches. It's trench warfare, I think, was the uh, exact word that McDaniel used. And now the NFLPA is launching an investigation into how Tagovailoa was returned to the game. Uh, Jackson, if he's currently slated to play on Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals, do you have any sort of, you know, shakiness in the state of how Tua can probably play throughout this game or? I mean, I just want the, I, I, I think my number one thing coming out of all this story is I hope this is a legitimate investigation because I just want to like, when you see someone bang their head against the turf and then immediately get up and wobble that I've never heard of a back injury like that. And he's passing it off as, you know, something came loose and and I just lost my bearings for a second. And that may well be true, but I I just want the investigation to actually explore whether, you know, that was a thing and whether measures were taken on the sideline to make sure that he was, you know, not seeing stars, but as far as Thursday goes, I, I I am a little bit concerned whether it's a concussion or a back injury in that Tua was looking really good in the first half of that game before he gets hurt. And if you look at the season overall, he's basically been a top five quarterback in every metric. But you come out in the second half and you only throw the ball six times and they only win that game. And credit to them, they were very opportunistic in the red zone, scored every time they had a chance. But their offense wasn't nearly as dynamic with him in his hampered state. I think the quick turnaround is the worst possible thing here. So whether it's his head, his back, his ankle, all of the above, I'm, you know, just for one week here in the short week, I'm a little bit concerned about whether or not he's going to be able to perform up to his early season standard. Yeah, especially what we've seen through him, uh, especially in the first two weeks. Uh, the third week, that was really a defensively led effort, despite, you know, some very pivotal, uh, you know, that deep post route by Jalen Waddle, of course. Uh, impressive that Tongavello was able to stay in that game, uh, finish it out. Uh, I, again, yeah, I think first and foremost, you just want to see the health of the player take priority here. The one thing that gives me not a bit of solace isn't the right word, but just certainty in the sense that it was Tua repeatedly telling people on the sidelines reportedly, it's not my head, it's my back. And no one was really looking at his back. And I don't think, you know, winning spirit is one thing and wanting to beat a division rival, you know, sure, but if a quarterback is that adamant about his health, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I don't think they'd just force him back in there if he wasn't willing to go back in. Uh, But yeah, that's why we have the uh, concussion protocol system in place. If his head's in jeopardy, he should be taken out. Let me just add, you can be adamant about wanting to go back in and have a back injury that needs to be looked at and still be seeing stars a little bit. All, all this can happen. I'm not yeah. saying it did in this case, but I'm not ruling out a concussion just because he also had a hurt back. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on it is uh, Milano was flagged for the late hit, uh, and it on replay, it's light. Like He gets there a little bit late, kind of shoves him, to a falls on his back, hurts his head. Uh, hits his head on the ground. Uh, you know, like it or not, that's why that's why those soft plays get called to deter things like that. Just to, you know, 
in a game as violent as this, you've seen a lot of really scary injuries the last two weeks. We'll get into some of them today. Uh, it's a scary game. Football is a very scary game. Uh, and especially when you're looking out for the health of players first, that's something like those calls just have to be made. Yeah. I mean, it's the type of thing where, and, and it goes for a lot of the targeting calls in the secondary too. There are rules that exist that people who have played football their whole lives don't necessarily know how to follow at all times. And it's one of those things where you do have to put the health of the player first and it might be hard to adjust to. And there might be times where a flag happens and the player totally didn't mean to commit the flag, but that's just what needs to be done to protect the health of the players. In some lighthearted news this week, we're getting Please. a little shift up in our Pro Bowl. No longer going to be an official Pro Bowl game. We're now getting the Pro Bowl games in the style of an uh, almost a football Olympics-esque event. Uh, reportedly going to be a – it's going to be more than just the game on Sunday with some additional events. Uh, they're introducing new skill challenges, going to showcase – uh, you know, skill positions and non-skill position players alike. Uh, I'm Jackson. I don't know about you. I'm morbidly intrigued by this. Uh, we just talked about safety. Uh, in a game like this, it feels like football is the only sport that has not gotten their all-star game right uh, outside of Mac Jones running 80 yards on a dead play and doing the gritty in the end zone. <laughs> I can't remember a highlight from a Pro Bowl game outside of the Sean Taylor tackle on special teams. <laughs> uh, and plays Which like that aren't happening happened. in football anymore, especially yeah. in all-star games. How do you think this is going to sort of shake out in terms of, you know, I, I, you and I have talked about, you know, like the wide receiver touchdown pass on the, or the touchdown catch onto the big path that they did last year. Uh, is there anything you're looking to see? Do you think this is going to be a good idea in general? Uh, is is the Pro Bowl salvageable? I'm throwing a lot at you here, but yeah. give me what you can on the Pro Bowl. Give uh, So I think the number one thing that this needs to accomplish if it's going to be deemed a success is get the actual Pro Bowlers who their teams make the playoffs and they've been eliminated – get those guys to the Pro Bowl. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but it gives you a better chance than having a tackle game. Because it's obvious to me that if you're Aaron Rodgers or if you're Russell Wilson or whoever you are and you're on the wrong side of 30, you're, you know, your team just got eliminated this week, you're not going to go sign up to put the pads on and get hit by J.J. Watt. That's just not something you're going to do. So if this can get, you know, the, the marquee quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers, whoever it may be, the guys who are the biggest names in the league to this Pro Bowl event, as it were, that's what this needs to accomplish. Because as much as I love Mac Jones, I don't think he needed to be a Pro Bowler last year. It's just that every year we end up with like half the quarterbacks and 25 wide receivers and, you know, whoever else named to the Pro Bowl. And that's, it's not like that's, I'm okay with guys getting accolades that happens in other sports too, but you need the marquee names to be there. As far as the events go, Kale, I love that wide receiver pad event. I love dodgeball. Um, I, I can't remember if they did sort of the obstacle relay race last year, but that was always one of my favorites. The one where 
Uh, it's like four guys that kind of do like a little chain of events. So get all that involved and put a point system in place and let's get rocking. Yeah. Make it a, you know, make it a vacation for the guys, make it fun for everyone watching, you know, try and get some cool stuff done, make it a spectacle. Uh, the one thing I'd like to see, just bring back the old quarterback skills competition, uh, you know, hitting the targets is fun. And, you know, even like, I don't know, the field goal kicker, tic-tac-toe, like some, like when you make, when you make a big ridiculous spectacle out of it, you can eat, you can just enjoy it for the novelty, right? Like it's not going to be too bad. I don't know. I'm optimistic. I think it's the one sport that has yet to figure out how to manage uh, putting out a decent product without sacrificing the health of its players. You know, if you keep doing it in Hawaii, you're doing some warm weather places, you can make it work. It's at Allegiant Stadium this year. So we'll see, but let's avoid, let's avoid any violent incidents in Las Vegas this year at the Pro Bowl. If we can, that would be another number one goal. Get the good players there. Number two, no violent incidents. I think we'll be figuring that one out as we go. It's a bit touch and feel from there, but Hey, I'm excited for a little bit of change in personnel news, a Buffalo bills who, Came into that Miami Dolphins game pretty banged up and left up left in even worse shape. Now signing Xavier Rhodes to the practice squad, the potential to be elevated. Uh, need some depth in that cornerback room at the moment. Rhodes, 2017 first-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler. Spent his last two years with the Colts. Was doing pretty solid, you know. He's two years removed from a season where he allowed 6.9 yards per pass attempt allowed. That's 27th uh, in the league in 2020. Uh, you know, last year allowed an A dot of 10.6 and a 53% success rate, a little bit less of a performance, but for where he's being asked to play Jackson, what do you think? Cause I still think, you know, with Christian Benson being sidelined with a broken hand, Dane Jackson, still healing up from that brutal hit in week two on Monday night football, losing not only Micah Hyatt for the season, but Jordan Poyer for an extended period. Trey white is still recovering from last year's injury. What do you make of the addition right now? I think it's, I'm first of all, I'm a little bit surprised that Rhodes wasn't on a team heading into the season. What that signals to me is this is a vet who's, rather than just taking any offer he gets, waiting around for the right opportunity to go and try and win himself a ring, which is obviously kind of the one thing that a first-team All-Pro corner's career would be missing. And, yeah, I mean, he wasn't bad in his two years in India. I think – so he – if you look at his numbers overall, 2019 was clearly like an aberration, terrible year for him in his last year with the Vikings. He uh, had to go – in that instance, the, the team obviously thought, I mean, he had seven total points saved that year, uh, which was by far the worst of his career. So now you're looking at a guy who's just kind of moving on from team to team, looking for the best opportunity that suits him. And I think this is perfect from the Bills side of things. I mean, you just need a, your corners are pretty much all rookies. We'll see if Benford can get himself back on the field, but now you don't even have enough corners to field a team. So veteran leadership plus, you know, a football player who can get out there and guard receivers is kind of what you're after. So from all those points, I think this is pretty much the ideal addition for them at this time. 
It makes a lot of sense to me. I really think that, you know, my biggest surprise, honestly, is I understand they need depth at the moment, but, you know, you draft a guy in Kyrie Elam, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of trust there at the moment. He's only started one game of the three he's played in, uh, has played about 100 snaps so far per Sports Info Solutions. Uh, I just, you know, let's see where things shake out. Bill's still right now through three weeks, second in defensive pass DVOA allowed. So they're looking great still. I just hope that they can get something out of him. But in this secondary, you know, I think I think they'll be able to make it work. But right now it's just, you know, dominance is so fickle, right? Like it's so easy to change. And the injury bug is undefeated. I just hope that they're able to respond well, replenish the resources and, you know, just figure it out from here because this is a this is a team that not only has a lot of offensive firepower and Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs to get to the playoffs, but they're going to need all the defensive help they can get right now. No, uh, for yeah. sure. And dominance is also fickle in that you can get 500 total yards and still lose the game. You can win the game in every metric, but the scoreboard. And that's what the bills managed to do this past week. So it's a little bit of a callback to last season as well where they had seven total losses and six of them were one score games. They had 12 wins. All of them were by at least 12 points. So that's kind of the pattern they've developed as a team. When they get into these close games, they've not shown the best track record. I don't know if Xavier Rhodes is the guy who's going to give them that track record in close games, but can't hurt. With an offense like this, if you're allowing 21 points as banged up as your secondary was, got to be able to close some games out. But you need that defense personnel in there to even get there in the first place. Before we dive into injury news, just one more quick story. Clay Matthews, officially calling it a career. Six-time pro baller, one-time first-team all-defense, defensive player of the year in 2010. Those iconic, iconic golden locks spent about a decade in the league between – 10 years of Green Bay, one extra year with the Rams in 2019. Hasn't played since 2019, but, you know, officially hung it up this year, was hoping to retire with the Packers. Didn't seem to work out that way. Jackson, any fond memories of Clay Matthews? Because maybe it's just watching him, you know, sling his hair back, dumping it in the Gatorade cooler. But it's going to say, can it be hair commercials? Is that, is it might, that it might have to be hair commercials. <laughs> um, Clay Matthews. Oh, actually I, I have a really good one for you, Kale. Number one, Clay Matthews memory pitch. Perfect too. No doubt about it. Good Paul. <laughs> good Paul. Yeah. He can't, he can't think of a country song to sing, but boy, can he do uh, what was it? Um, and I should not be forgetting. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think you can handle this. Clay Matthews, wrapping it out. Bootylicious. <laughs> the one thing that, like, throughout the 2010s, Green Bay to me was Aaron Rodgers on the offensive side, Clay Matthews on the defensive side. You know, just all over the place linebacker play, played with an aggression and a fervor that really stays with you. You know, when you get to watch an iconic linebacker play the game, 
that you know it's the quarterback of a defense that's what sucks you in starts allowing you to learn more about the defensive side of the ball and clay matthews along with dante hightower later was one of the first examples of like great defensive play that i truly remember and truly stuck out to me as like oh no it's not just you know the quarterback and what he's doing on offense this is you know, defense is an art form, and Clay Matthews had a real good nose for the ball that made defense fun to watch. Yeah, and might I add, not that he didn't have a very strong overall career and that he played for a reasonable amount of time and was very good for that amount of time, but he burst onto the scene and was kind of at his best early on in his career, and that happens to coincide with 2010 when the Packers come all the way from the sixth, which at the time was the bottom seed in the NFC, to go on and win a Super Bowl. I mean, 2010 was his year. Like, that was only his second season in the league. He's first team all pro. He's setting a career high in sacks, and he's leading the team to a Super Bowl. So that's that's what I'll kind of remember as well. Is Clay Matthews just was NFL ready. And we see that a lot these days for, like, top college defensive guys, Michael Parsons, TJ Watt come to mind uh, as recent examples, but he was definitely one of the first I can remember where it was like, who's this really young guy who's just the best linebacker in football right now? That was a big Clay Matthews thing. Pivoting into injury news, our least favorite topic to talk about every week, but. But it also occupies a lot of the show. It's a, it's a, it's been a theme of the show. It's a rough game, but uh, you got to manage somehow. Let's kick it off with Patriots quarterback Mac Jones. Suffered a high ankle sprain in the week three game against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he wears he wears emotions on his face, Jones does, in a similar way that Eli Manning did. But he looked like he was in a lot of pain leaving that field. Reported that he's got a pretty severe high ankle sprain. Uh hopes that he doesn't get surgery if he does it would be the tightrope surgery that really expedites uh high ankle sprain injuries it involves some suturing of muscles to the bone itself uh it's a procedure that was pretty popular at alabama while jones was there both Tua Tungabailoa and jalen hurts underwent the surgery they came back within four weeks each uh, from their respective high ankle sprains. Uh, right now, there's uncertainty about whether Jones can go. Assuming right now that he can't, Belichick said that Hoyer, Brian Hoyer, that is, is set to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots against the aforementioned Green Bay Packers. I'm very curious to see what the timetable is on this. It doesn't look great. Jackson, if Jones is out more than a month, it's already shaky as is. It feels like this is pretty much a scrapped year if Jones misses, you know, more than a handful of games. I would agree. I think that you can afford to lose this Packers game and still have a long shot chance at a playoff spot. But anything beyond that where Mac Jones isn't in there, you're starting to slip into – really shaky territory uh the patriots currently sit at about a 22 percent chance to make the playoffs according to our latest model so not great and that also they had the second biggest drop off this week in terms of playoff odds uh where they were sitting at 45 percent so that's you know that's a loss coupled with an injury that really makes up for 
just a big hit to a team season outlook. And the Patriots, I will say the schedule eases up a little bit. Um, I think when I, I, I sit down at the beginning of every season and just sort of pick every game for fun and see where I think things are going to go. And I actually had the Patriots starting one and three and then winning six of their next seven. But I was assuming Mac Jones would be healthy. And I was also maybe assuming that they might get a little bit more out of their receiver room. Maybe I didn't realize that Matt Patricia was there, even though all the news reports said he was. So, you know, it's it's a bug. You, you want to see a team go down. If they're going to go down, go down with their full cavalry of options. Um, as much as I love that Brian Hoyer's real first name is Axel, I don't really trust him to win you any football games at this point in his career. So, yeah, it's rough sledding for the Pats. There's really no way to say there's really nothing positive to say about where they are in their season right now. I'd be remiss not to mention this Belichick quote. This comes from Alex Barth at 985, the sports hub in Boston. Question, does Mac Jones have a high ankle sprain? Bill Belichick, what do I look like? A doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, day by day. Well, that's <laughs> the latest on Mac Jones and his status. Giants receiver Sterling Shepard. Took a scary non-contact injury, was carted off the field during the Monday Night Football loss to the Dallas Cowboys. It has now been revealed per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport that Sterling Shepard has torn his ACL and will be done for the year. Sterling Shepard was just recovering from an Achilles tear. Uh, He's in the final year of a four-year, $41 million contract with the Giants. Uh, There's a void year attached in 2023, but in terms of his playing time, that is spent. Jackson, that turf at MetLife is a problem. Uh, it, the 49ers complained about it in week two last year uh, where a lot of different players went down. Uh, they talked about potentially resodding it. Uh, players had mentioned it's too soft, it's too loose. Maybe that's just the way it is. Uh, but a turf that has claimed uh, several lower body injuries at this point uh, has claimed yet another, and this time it affects the team, one of the two teams. That actually plays there. You got to feel for Sterling Shepard in a situation like this. You really do. And when you see the entire league on Twitter just kind of butting in on the situation, I mean, Odell was the most vocal about it, but it's clear that there's a problem with that turf specifically, but also with turf in general. It's it's the only league that does this, right? Like, I, I suppose you could think about like some, some MLS teams, some NWSL teams, but in general, I mean, turf is just pretty universally acknowledged as the inferior surface and a cost cutting move. So I suppose that, you know, since the NFL is an all weather sport, that's sort of the leg they have to stand on in terms of having turf in the game. But when you have billions and billions of dollars being poured in, it sort of makes it feel less excusable to me to not have the surface that the players all agree should be the right surface. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals and the Houston Texans, they both do this. They keep their grass inside for the entire week in a climate controlled environment, and then bring it out on Sundays on individual pallets to set up their playing surface. Might want to think about doing that. If you're other teams and you have turf that's claiming your guys Achilles and ACLs. One statistic to add, this is from the NFLPA directly and President J.C. Treader. Uh, based on NFL injury data collected between 2012 and 2018, 
artificial turf is significantly harder on the body than grass and also results in a, I believe the number is a, oh, here it is. Specifically, players have a 28% higher rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries playing on turf. Of those non-contact injuries, players have a 32% higher rate of non-contact knee injuries on turf and a staggering 69% higher rate of non-contact foot and ankle injuries on turf compared to grass. So until this becomes truly endemic, I don't know what change will come. However, that is a that sounds endemic pretty damning uh, bit of evidence there. It is endemic. I it so I don't know what's going to force the change. I, I it feels like it has to be just total mutiny on the players' part, and even that might not get it done. So the the first thing we can do is start talking about it. We talk about all these safety measures to protect <laughs> guys' heads, and that's obviously you know number one. We want people to have livelihoods after they retire, but we also want them to stay on the field and a 69% increased rate of foot and ankle injuries seems like something that could be addressed by any means necessary. Moving on to speaking of endemic, a Los Angeles Chargers team littered with injuries. Uh, We'll only be covering a handful here, uh, but this is also should be kept in mind. Uh, One, Justin Herbert still very much dealing with rib injuries. Two, Center Corey Lindsley is still out. Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen, wide receiver, still dealing with a hamstring injury that's nagging him. JC Jackson, who got non-invasive ankle surgery in the offseason, is not taking well and is extending his injury timetable. But these are not the injuries that we'll be talking about today. <laughs> Jalen Guyton, the third receiver on the roster, currently out with an ACL tear done for the year left tackle Rayshon Slater we'll focus on that one in a bit but out for the year torn bicep he will be replaced by Storm Norton Joey Bosa has a serious groin injury and is out against the Texans will be a week-to-week injury status Jackson this is a preseason favorite for a lot of players uh, or a lot of media members and fans alike as a team that was going to come out of a loaded AFC that had spent a lot of their offseason retooling and getting the personnel they needed. Uh, and like we said about the fickle state of dominance, uh, the veneer of greatness around the Chargers always peels back by like week four. Uh, it feels quicker than ever this year with so many major names for this Chargers team ruled out for uh, either extended periods, the year outright, or are going to be dealing with injuries that nag them for weeks. Well said. <laughs> um, I, you know, this you don't want to legitimize curses in professional sports, but I think we might be dealing one on the with, with one on the part of the Chargers at this point. Um, I talked about the Patriots, the hit to their playoff expectancy this past week. The Chargers had an even bigger one, the biggest one in the league. They went from being 70.6% chance to make the playoffs all the way down to 442 following the 38-10 loss to the Jags. 
And it's easy to see why, because that factors in not just the results on the field, but the guys who aren't going to be there. You look at Rayshon Slater, the Chargers are second in the league in adjusted sack rate so far, and Rayshon Slater is their best offensive lineman. Now he's just gone. Uh, Joey Bosa, one of the best pass rushers in the league. He's just gone. We don't know for how long. So it's, it's really one of those things where it, like, you don't want to say the Chargers are cursed, but we just talked about seven, eight major injuries that they've had through three weeks out of the season, like in every possible positional group at every level of the roster. Feels like there might be a curse there. Uh, and, and also shout out to uh, CCX3 in our YouTube comment section. SoFi, also artificial turf. Can't, can't definitely say that's not playing a factor here in all these injuries. May have in Guyton's, may have in Allen's. Uh, likely Bosa's as well, but you, I You can say JC Jackson. I mean, he's been playing on turf in Gillette his whole career. Who knows what kind of effect that's had. Well, that was the surgery itself was to address a uh, something he was born with, a little bit of uh, something in his ankle, just some uh, debris uh, that was cleared out. But who's to say that wasn't exacerbated by it? Just exactly. to touch one more time on the loss of Slater, which is pretty massive. Uh, Slater's averaged around a 2% blown block rate uh, throughout the entirety of his career was well on pace to repeat a pretty strong rookie season. His replacement, Storm Norton, also started last year for the Chargers. He allowed a 4.2% blown block rate as a starter and a 5.6% blown block rate in excuse me, in pass pro. So, big downgrade there for the Chargers. A team that especially needs quarterback help, uh, quarterback protection to help out their uh, quarterback with Injured ribs. And yeah, I don't. Ribs. I don't know if it can be overstated the impact that a two to three percent jump in blown block rate can have on an offense, particularly if you've got a quarterback whose health is already in question. You don't want that guy taking more hits. He's going to be taking more hits if that doesn't get cleaned up immediately. Absolutely, it is a. I you know they haven't quite reached last year's Ravens status in terms of adjusted games lost. But through four weeks, it's something I'd certainly keep my eye on. Moving to a surprise bit of injury news. Miles Garrett was involved in a single car uh, accident on the way home from practice the other day. Uh, was apparently swerving to avoid an animal. Uh, as of right now, was taken to the hospital and I believe dismissed. Uh, he and an unnamed female passenger uh, both sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, Garrett specifically sustained injuries to his shoulder and bicep. Uh, unclear yet as to if Garrett will miss time. Uh, just an addition from the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Uh, the car flipped several times before coming to a stop. Uh, both Garrett and the female passenger were taken to the hospital. Non-life-threatening injuries should be noted that neither drugs nor alcohol were factors in the crash and both passengers were wearing their seatbelt. Scary bit of injury news, not much to add at the moment because we don't know about an injury timetable, but just good to see that, you know, nothing serious was happening, that this wasn't a sense of, that this wasn't an incident of reckless driving. We've had a few too many of those amongst NFL players in recent 
years. So it's just good to see that Garrett is okay and that they were operating safely during the time of the accident. Yep. Just to add to that, the end of the Browns statement on Garrett says, uh, currently our focus is on providing Miles the medical care needed for him to return to football activity. Although we hope to have him back soon, his availability for Sunday's game in Atlanta will be evaluated by team doctors throughout the week. So we don't know what, you know, this means from a football standpoint necessarily yet. Could be he doesn't even miss this game. We just don't know. But I think the number one takeaway from a story like this is glad there weren't any external factors involved. Glad he's safe. We'll deal with the football part later. Obviously, Garrett is, you know, a huge impact player for that team. But I think the main factor is just glad everybody's okay. Hop across the pond to foggy old London town. Are we? Is that what Saints, we're doing now? The Saints are dealing with a litany of injuries at the moment, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Jameis Winston was given the day off from practice, uh, not present. Uh, he's been dealing with a what has been called a pretty painful back injury. Uh, also, the top two receivers, uh, two of the top three receivers at the moment, uh, Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry both mispractice for respective injuries to, again, lower extremities. Michael Thomas is dealing with a foot injury, not on the foot that he had missed over a year of action for. Jarvis Landry is dealing with some ankle soreness. Not the, not the, uh, not the injury report you want to see when you're hopping across the pond, Jackson. I would not say so. Um, and and just to, to go to the other side of the ball, you know, Dalvin Cook dislocates his shoulder for the Vikings. He might not play this week either. So, uh, you know, we love the idea of the London game every year. I mean, first of all, from our perspective, it's kind of nice to just wake up at 930 and already have football on. We recognize the importance of growing the game. This is the flip side that comes to that is we're only three weeks into the season and guys are already super banged up. And now you're sticking them on anywhere from an eight to 12 hour flight, shipping them across the pond, dealing with jet lag. Oh, by the way, Jameis Winston has all sorts of, you know, maladies and and the rest of his team does too. So I don't know where this leaves them. I mean, you certainly don't want to be, you know, quarterback controversy through three weeks, but you know, one of Kale's favorite stats from last year, guys, was that Jameis Winston was second in EPA per play if you turn the sliders down to only 200 snaps. That's not the Jameis Winston we've seen so far this season. You know, the, the Saints are not a good offense by any measures. Jameis has struggled a lot. You know, interceptions left and right, five in the past two weeks. So, you know, this is this is a situation where you want your guys healthy and, and obviously a, a trip across the pond is not super helpful in that. I forget how long ago it was, but the uh, launch of the NFL international fandom uh, during mm. the offseason this year and the exploration into further international games uh, reminded me of a Colin Coward segment from uh, a few years ago. I think we're uh, thinking of the same one. <laughs> He laid the stage for international play uh, with the caveat that all 32 teams would participate. Uh, it would be an expansion of the NFL schedule uh, and would offer teams two buys. And one of your buys would come either directly before 
or directly after uh, a international game. And with the amount of, you know, the international element aside, with the amount of injuries that we've seen in recent weeks, uh, I think it. I think a second buy is becoming a little bit more necessary. That's an argument for the next CBA, though. Continuing to cover, uh, you know, we already mentioned Dalvin Cook in this. DeAndre Swift, two injuries at the moment. Team says he could, quote, benefit from staying out until after their week six bye. Swift's currently number one in DVOA and fifth in DYAR at the moment. Good opportunity for Jamal Williams. But beyond that, that is a big blow to a Detroit Lions offense that has looked surprisingly potent through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, I mean, Swift's been a huge piece of that. So has, obviously, Amon Ross St. Brown. There are obviously other good weapons. You think about TJ Hawkinson, DJ Chark's had a nice year so far. Running backs do still matter. You know, maybe, you know, we can debate about how much, but DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift has been worth 70 extra yards to his team through three weeks. If you look at our DYAR stat, that might win them a game here and there if he's able to continue playing throughout the season. So you want that guy back. You want him healthy. So I see it from both sides. You don't want to push him, but obviously it's great to have him on the field. I see people shouting out Jamal in our comment section. So, you know, maybe Jamal can step in and do a great job this week, but I think Swift is, you know, to my, in my mind, a more dynamic player who's going to create more yards than a guy like Jamal Williams is. We'll see. We'll see the, the lions. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm really impressed with their overall offensive, just kind of firepower. And I also feel like because of that, they should be at least two and one right now. And that's why it stinks to have, you know, injuries in the fold in addition to maybe underperforming in the win column. The Detroit Lions are currently a surprising seventh in total offensive DVOA with a fifth best rushing DVOA. That is with obviously Swift and Williams both in the fold. Moving over to the New York Jets. Jets fans, I got some good news and some bad news. Good news. Zach Wilson, back. Cleared by doctors to play as early as this week's game against the Steelers. Uh, Jackson, I don't know about you, but I've liked a lot what I've seen out of the LaFleur offense. Garrett Wilson looks special. Elijah Moore looks like he's picked exactly where he's left off after his big six-week outburst before his injury in 2021. Bad news, though. Another left tackle headed to IR. George Fant. Knee has not recovered from surgery as the Jets had hoped. Going on IR, set to miss, I believe, at least a month. Jackson, I get you've got to be excited about the Jets having their quarterback back because as, you know, as surprising as Joe Flacco has looked, Thursday, uh, week three was basically, you know, that image of Flacco coming back down to earth. I recognize that you need an upgrade at quarterback, but with the injury that Wilson suffered, with the addition or subtraction for that matter, of another left tackle on this offensive line. Where do you feel about Wilson entering this game? Yeah. Can we kind of break down that, you know, Jets offensive usage, you know, the floor offense <laughs> kind of point as well, because I, I know what you're saying in terms of the receivers have looked very dynamic and they are blessed 
to have, you know, two guys that are as young and as good as the two that you just mentioned. But, you know, I, as, as great as Elijah Moore, as great as Garrett Wilson is, why is Joe Flacco throwing the ball 155 times through three weeks? Why is he throwing the most passes of any quarterback ever through three weeks? And then you flip that question on its side. Does that mean that Zach Wilson now, in, you know, coming off this injury, does that mean he's going to be throwing 55 pass attempts per week? He certainly didn't do that last season. So what what does the makeup of this offense look like now that Wilson is back? Now you add the Fant injury in there as a wrinkle. So now you're you know missing one of your primary blockers and you're dealing with an injury that you're just coming back from. I'm curious to see whether this means you know it's a heavier rushing week for Michael Carter, Brees Hall. Both of these guys very talented. Kind of interesting to see a backfield split like this where you bring in, you know, the highest drafted running back in a certain draft with a guy who is, you know, in his second year and picking up steam as the year goes on last year. There's a lot of pieces on this Jets offense. You get your quarterback back, that's great. How are they going to utilize it? I've been really impressed thus far with how they've been able to, you know, it's being able to maximize the talent that you have. Uh, you know, it's throwing Garrett Wilson in a stack. So he's, you know, as a more slender receiver is not able to get pressed at the line of scrimmage. It's creating opportunities for Elijah Moore. It's using Michael Carter as efficiently as possible in the run game. When you know, Brees is taking the 60% of that 60, 40 snap split jets offensive line right now, 14th, in adjusted line yards, 12th in power success, and currently have a adjusted sack rate of 6.2%, which would put the Jets, sorry, at 15th. Uh, I just, you know, this team's a quarterback away. The defense is 32nd in the league. I think that's a bit of a result of, you know, continuing to work a lot of younger guys and continuing to try – and iron out some issues, especially in the secondary, and you also look at the opponents that they face. You get the Bengals with a chip on their shoulder after a slow start. You get a really loaded Baltimore Ravens team. But if they can just put some pieces together, I think this is a team that is built to string together just a couple wins. I don't I know. I agree. It, it is all about the quarterback, players. right? It's all about the quarterback. You, you look at the two – youngest most impressive wide receiver cores in, in my estimation in the league right now in these jets and then i would throw the commanders in there as well i've been supremely impressed by the talent they have in that wide receiver room those two teams 19th and 29th in overall offensive dvoa right now because it's all about the quarterback play so take joe flacco out Zach Wilson was the very last quarterback among all qualified quarterbacks last year in DVOA, but had the off season. That's, that's what's important to me is yes, he missed the first few games, but he worked with the team all throughout the off season, all throughout OTAs, et cetera, et cetera, and then suffered the injury in the preseason. So at least he had time to kind of gel with this offense. We forget Kale last season was still kind of a COVID off season and not easy to come into as a rookie where certain things weren't necessarily in place the way they normally are for off-season workouts. So this off-season, I feel like, should have been the time for Zach Wilson to kind of get right with this offense, and hopefully we see that on the field once he's back. I'm crossing my fingers because, you know, 
just following reports right in the chapter, I didn't see as much confidence in Wilson as I'd like, but I've also been really impressed by what LaFleur has been able to put together in terms of a game plan. If he can get the project uh, protection, uh, I think it'll be there, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how things shake out. Jumping into Thursday night news to wrap up the show. A little bit of uniform news to start things out. The Bengals officially unveiling their Siegfried and Roy white tiger uniforms. Pretty snazzy. One of the better ones in the league uh, in terms of the new Jersey turnover in the off season. Love the creativity there. Good use of the new helmet rule. Uh, getting the white tiger in there. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. That'll look good under the prime time lights. Saints, Commanders, and Giants also debuting alternate helmets this week. But let's just do a quick 30 seconds on these uniforms, Jackson. Where do you stand? Because I think they're pretty awesome. I do too. So we knew that they existed in the past few years. It was actually, I mean, it was their original color rush was the all whites, right? But they weren't allowed to wear white helmets with it because of what was at the time the one shell rule in the NFL that took place from, I believe, 2011 until last season. So now that we're finally allowed to have two helmets, which don't understand why that was ever. Uh, I get that the NFL is trying to, you know, overly be cautious about head injuries, but what, what difference does it make if you're wearing one helmet throughout the season or two, as long as they're up to code. So very glad this is happening. Almost half the teams, if I'm, if I'm correct, have debuted alternate helmets or have introduced them throughout the off season. And none of them have yet been worn this year until this week. So I'm interested to see how they all look on the field and if you're the Miami Dolphins, you got to respond here, Kale. You, if you're going to walk out against a team wearing, you know, all white dripped out uniforms, you got to come with the teal alternate throwbacks, or at least you got to go all teal. Something you got, you got to throw throw it on the gauntlet at some point. Well, we know one person's throwing that on the gauntlet for the Dolphins, and that is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill has a little reunion coming with Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Eli Apple. When asked about, uh, you know, the potential matchup against the Bengals, Hill specifically said, I can't wait to go against Eli Apple, man. Quote, I owe you, boy. I owe you. I'm here. The cheetah is here. That's it. Now, if you don't remember last year, AFC Championship saw a little spat between Hill and Apple. He'll talk some smack online afterwards. He got an earful come Super Bowl time, allowing the game-winning interception. Bengals secondary has their back, though. Jesse Bates, safety for the Cincinnati Bengals, spoke up afterwards, according to Ben Baby of ESPN. If somebody comes after – sorry. If somebody comes after Eli, he comes after all of us. We're all up for the challenge. Jackson, fireworks on Thursday night. Not only a big uniform debut, but a really fun receiver cornerback matchup that is sure to be explosive. I mean, I don't envy Eli Apple in this situation, Kale. He, you know, it's not like he's one of the worst corners in the league, but he's certainly not the cream of the crop. You have to take on Tyreek Hill. 
the fastest man maybe ever to step on a football field. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what his chances are, but I don't think they're good. Um, you know, he's fast, Kale. I don't know if you know that. Tyree Kill is really fast. Tyree Kill is really fast and has also been one of the best receivers in football through three weeks. Uh, and the Bengals have to worry about Jalen Waddle screaming around in the secondary as well. So it's not like they're going to be able to give him maybe all the help you would want to in a matchup like this. Apple and the Bengals really, really have their work cut out for them. And I'm excited to take it all in on this Thursday night. It's but that does one. it for us. That does it for us today, Jackson. We've covered a lot in here, some real news. I don't know about you. I'm talking about the Pro Bowl games and talking about this Thursday night football. I am fired up for the rest of the week and beyond in this season. Any closing words before we exit? Football is the best. That's all I got to say. You know, we we talked about a lot of negative news today. That's going to be, you know, a thing we have to do every week. Injuries are the worst, and and we know that. But at the end of the day, what we do here is we get everybody ready for Thursday night and for the week ahead. And I think this week is shaping up to be a really good one. You know, we've got marquee matchups. We look at that Thursday night game. We've also got an unironic, exciting potential Super Bowl preview in the number two overall DVOA Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles. It's just going to be a great week of football ahead, and I'm excited to see it all play out. Been a quality, quality season so far. If I do say so myself, we've had three weeks of just quality scheduling, good games every week, and this week should prove to be no different and I can't wait. For Jackson, I'm Kale. This has been the FO News Show. Catch us again next week, Wednesday at 1 p.m. We'll see you then. Take care, guys.